All right, welcome to the 40th episode of the Western Reserve here on AquabearLegion.com. I'm your host, Brian Costco. Happy New Year to everyone out there. Excited to bring you a new episode today. This one is one that I've been working on a little bit over the course of the year. It kind of got shuffled around due to the pandemic and due to grad school and life and, and various other things. But I'm really excited that I was able to finish it up here around the holidays and get it out there for you. We have on the show today here just in a few minutes, Tim Minichi. Now, Tim is a author, musician, podcast host, researcher, obsessor of Ohio music, fellow obsessor of Ohio music from Columbus, Ohio. And he has a lot of uh, awesome projects and things going on that we'll talk about, including a book he just put out called The Black Sky, which we don't talk about too much because this interview happened before the book was released, but you can find out about that on his website, timminichi.com. And also two music-related projects, Down to High Street, which is a blog that Tim runs focusing on the history of Ohio music, specifically in Columbus in the late 70s, 80s, and 90s. And he also is the host of a fantastic podcast called Dig Me Out, which focuses each episode on a 90s album of some kind. They've done over 500-some episodes and had lots of really cool musicians and, and various folks and, and people on. So you can check out all of that stuff by going to timminichi.com and see all the different things Tim has going. Be sure to go and check out Dig Me Out as well. I also want to implore you again, if you enjoy this show, please help us out a little bit if you can. And you can do that by simply reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, uh, following us on there. You can also follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, all of those places as well. It really helps to write a review, to do a five-star thing, even if it's just a quick one, especially for a small podcast with absolutely no budget. That is a huge help. So I would really appreciate that. If you have any feedback or ideas for future episodes or you're in a band and you want me to play your music, Western Reserve at AquabearLegion.com. You can find us on Facebook as well. And yeah, I'm really excited for this episode, so let's get into it. Without further ado, here's my conversation from earlier in the year with Tim Minichi, and Tim puts together a fantastic playlist for this episode with some really good Columbus music. Enjoy. Started out in 2018. Um, I put out a book about the band that I was in called The Stepford Five in the early 2000s, and it it we collected all of our online postings. So we kept a gig diary, we kept a studio diary, we kept a news diary, and we posted all that stuff back in 99 to like 2007. And I had a lot of fun researching all of the venues we used to play and the bands we used to play with and putting together this chronological timeline of our existence paired with an update of like how the internet changed while we were, we went from, you know, a very small internet to a very big internet in terms of social media and all these things rapidly changing around us as we were a band. And it sparked my interest in exploring the Columbus music scene on a much broader scale. And the podcast that you mentioned, Dig Me Out, we do a yearly series called Dig In Your Scene, where we dig into a scene from the 90s of a particular city. So we'll talk to people from Chicago or Boston, New York, LA, and even Dayton, Ohio, 
a smaller scene and we'll just get like an idea like where were bands playing what were the the bands that maybe didn't make it big but were really influential on the scene where did you buy records what media was important and we just try to paint a picture of why that scene was interesting in the 90s and i sort of mentally connected the two and thought well i just did a whole book researching the history of my very short experience of being in a band and i do this podcast with the emphasis on researching uh, an entire scene what if i actually dug into the columbus music scene and tried to figure out like what made it unique because there is a unique aspect to columbus oh yeah totally in terms right. of its yeah what's gone th- what's happened over the last 40 years and i really sort of pinpointed 1975 to 2015 is my area because the early Columbus music scene, like the 1950s and 60s up until the mid 70s has actually been covered by an author named David Myers. And then, so he, but he was covering more of like the British invasion, the, the sixties garage bands, that kind of stuff. And I wanted to pick up in the mid seventies because that's when you start getting into the weird stuff, the psychedelic stuff, the experimental, the progressive punk underground and that has carried columbus for 40 years that's that's a defining trait that columbus always has a very strong underground music scene and that it also has not really produced any major artists now you can say 21 pilots in the last couple years but we don't have a smashing pumpkins or like chicago does and and we don't have you know the number of bands that have come out of boston in the 90s you know dinosaur jr and Buffalo Tom and all these mm-hmm. like bands that signed to major labels. Columbus has really never had that big hit, but it's always had a very vibrant, interesting music scene that people from outside of Columbus recognize when they came and toured here. It just never hit on a, on a you know mainstream level. So I was really interested in that. Like what made Columbus unique? Was it our geographic location was it our economic situation where we have a very low cost of living so a lot of bands could take more risks you can't necessarily do that in new york city you kind of have to pay your bills right in new york city yeah the, the midwest does create this sort of different atmosphere i mean it's found in other places you know it's right, a, a right. common common story in rock and roll but yeah you're totally dead on that there is a there's this sort of mixture of I've talked about it before on here. I mean, with, with Bela, you know, from anyway, and some of these other yep. folks who've, who've been at this for a while and, and seen not only the community you know, of music in Ohio develop, but how it compared to other places, you know, like you're saying, what, what not existing in a vacuum, um, nationally. And, and being a place that is a, or, or was at least in the nineties and, and even in the eighties before that, but a place that, you know, up and coming sort of underground punk, um, industrial, metal, whatever, whatever was not necessarily getting played on radio, but there were, you know, there were circuits of hardcore bands and circuits of, of punk bands. Columbus was a place to hit because it was centrally located. It was a good jumping point. Like if you're going to go to, you know, Louisville and Indianapolis, well, you can make a stop in Columbus or vice versa. When you're going to the East coast, you know, you're going to hit here and then maybe you're going to hit Pittsburgh and then you're going to hit, you know, Virginia or, or get into D.C. So it's just a natural spot for bands to be coming through all the time. So a lot of folks would come through and see 
you know, the stuff that was happening at stashes and, and, and Bernie's and in the eighties, it was crazy mamas and, and a number of other places that were, were pretty unique. And so I just wanted, I, I really just wanted to capture that because there's no really strong documentation of any of that. And I think it's a really interesting scene. I just decided one day I'm going to do this. And in 2018, um, I actually reached out to the Greater Columbus Arts Council and I requested a grant to buy records. Nice. Which is probably the, is the, the dream. You're living the dream. Yeah. And and they were like, can we get some more information about that, please? And I said, well, you know, uh, a lot of this stuff is not streaming. You know, these 1970s and 80s records, especially, or underground cassettes, have never made it to streaming platforms. And they're really important because there is a wealth of information in liner notes. Where was this recorded? Who was the engineer? And then connecting all of those dots is super important because that's where I started getting into all of these little weird recording studios that only maybe popped up for like one or two years, but, you know, 15 bands recorded there. Right. The and gold, they all the gold mine of that connected information. Exactly. You know, to, yeah. Exactly. That's and awesome. Columbus has had a, a very inconsistent um, history with regards to maintaining its bars and its recording studios and its, you know, the record stores are some of the few things that have actually lasted over time. Like Use Kids has been around since the 80s. Um, but other than, and maybe Musical is the only recording studio, but there have been dozens of recording studios, labels. You know, you mentioned Bela in any way. That's one of the last labels from the 90s that's left. Right. So I really just, I just got a, a bug and I wanted to, you know, start talking to people. And I did ask some people in the scene who I knew. And I said, do you think this is a stupid idea? Or am I crazy to try to tackle all this? And they're like, yes, but I think it would be worth it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I would probably give the same answer, I think. I agree. <laughs> but I also agree that it's worth it. I mean, I, I you know, it's right in our wheelhouse here at for Aquabare in general or for this show. Uh, well, why don't we start, Tim? We're going to talk a whole bunch more about that project and the other things you're doing. Why don't we start? We're going through chronologically in this episode as well, I should mention. So we're actually going to go through starting, and it's all Columbus music here, yep. this, this this one. And we're starting in 1975, and we're going to end around 2013. So what's the first song we're kicking off here in this uh, kind of mid-late 70s block? Well, I knew that if we were going to start I was going to do this chronologically. I had to start with something off of Owl Records. And the one I went with was Raven, who is this legendary... It's not even his name. That's just what he went by. Nobody really knows the guy's name. I think Mike Rep Hummel is the only guy who knows Raven's actual name. But he was like this biker, druggy guy who walked into Owl Records in Owl Studios because it was a record label and a recording studio in Columbus on Sunbury road and had this like dirty apocalyptic blues that he was playing and laid it down at owl was this old house that these guys, um, Tom Murphy and, and, uh, Robin Jenny and, um, Sterling Smith had put together 
so they could record their bands essentially and they started you know recording other bands and it was just this it's a sort of legendary psychedelic blues record that they only printed up maybe 200 copies back when it came out mostly we were just giving away to their friends and it has become this amazing collector's item where if you are a, a hardcore record collector these things go for like two grand wow luckily mike rep who is the sort of godfather of everything going on in, in columbus you know starting in the 70s with his band the quotas um he got the original master recordings and did a repress in the uh, last decade. So luckily people have been able to hear it because it was just impossible to hear the record. And some people might hear it and go, well, this just sounds like crazy noise. But if you kind of use it as the starting point of where Columbus would go with regards to bands like Vertical Slit and, and Jim Shepard's recordings, and V3 and the stuff that Mike Rep would do, and you listen to Great Plains and Thomas Jefferson's Slave Apartments, you hear like the essentially like the where the birth of crazy Columbus music starts to happen with regards to underground experimental music. And that's what Owl Records was. It was a really fantastic record label and studio for a couple of years. They put out One State Steven, which is another legendary, hard to find record very psychedelic. Um, it's sort of in the vein of if uh, the Doors didn't actually write like songs, they just sort of jammed for four hours and recorded it. And then you also have The Load, which was this ultra-progressive three-piece instrumental that would play like 20-minute-long jams at what was um, the Agora and then became the Newport Columbus. And they would pack it. They would put you know 1,200 kids in there and they would be playing classical music as progressive rock. Whoa. It, and it was nuts. It That's was absolutely awesome. nuts. They would play Mr. Brown's Descent, which was another you know, legendary place here in Columbus. So I think if you've got to start with where did Columbus, in terms of its underground presence, really start to birth, it's, it's with Owl and it's with... Raven and the load and, and one say Steven. So I had to pick one of the three to, uh, to start with. So I went with Raven and his back to Ohio blues album. All right, let's hear war with my soul. I think it's like a good place to start as any. We'll be back here with Tim Minichi on the Western reserve. No, that baby, uh, I am free. 
Just heard Screaming Urge with Homework from 1980 on their 7-inch single. Before that, you knew the gods were going to show up here. They did it already in the first block. That's Gotta Keep a Running, self-titled 1978 release. You're listening to the Western Reserve here on AquabearLegion.com. I'm your host, Brian Costco, here with Tim Minichi. Hey, Tim. And we are playing lots of Columbus, Ohio music. As always, if you have an idea for an episode or your band wants me to play something, send us an email, westernreserve at aquabearlegion.com. And if you like what we do, tell your friends, give us a subscribe, go take a look at the other stuff Aqua Bear Legion does. And I'm excited to be joined, as I mentioned, uh, by Tim Minichi. Tim uh, both is the host and founder of Dig Me Out, which is a podcast that focuses on 90s rock and roll of all types and also has been writing a working on a book uh, after doing a book about his own band Stepford five and a blog called down to high street where he's been deep diving into columbus uh, music of the past mainly and so we've been using that as an excuse to go through here and listen to all sorts of good stuff and just heard some really sweet late 70s and very early 80s music from columbus ohio and a lot more coming up. You're going to hear music from New Bomb Turks, Watershed, Defiance, Ohio, Happy Chichester, tons of stuff going on and a lot of great things to get to. So, Tim, you were kind of talking about your initial deep dive into Columbus music and how you ended up doing that. Let's talk about the podcast a little bit. 
And sure. How so? Give for someone unfamiliar with Dig Me Out. Tell them what you do there. So Dig Me Out is a weekly '90s centric podcast where we dig into lesser known music from the decades. So we're not going to cover, say, Pearl Jam or Soundgarden or Smashing Pumpkins, stuff that people are already pretty well familiar with, unless we can find an interesting angle maybe to talk about it. Now, we have covered uh, Nirvana's In Utero as a way to to discuss um, how the band took a very like anti-commercial approach on that record from the way that Nevermind was produced. But for the most part, we're talking about bands that people might have forgotten, and that was sort of the genesis of the of the whole experience was to get, let people, you know, find these records that maybe they remember a single, maybe they were in college and they heard it on their college radio station, but they've forgotten about it. And just dig into these records and figure out if they were worth going back to, to listen to again. And that was the Genesis at the beginning. And then we started adding interviews and we started adding round tables where we cover different topics and it's been fun because it has definitely changed the way I listen to music and it's definitely changed what I listen to. I have a much broader palette because although we have stuck to rock, like indie rock, alternative rock, we have expanded that over time. So a couple of years ago, we did an, an episode on electronica and the, and the, the when the guitars were going to get thrown away and everybody was going to start using samplers and drum machines and keyboards and the, mid nineties and revisited those bands. And um, we're not afraid to dip our toes into stuff. That's a little bit outside our comfort zone, but we let the, we've started letting the patron community and we have a patreon.com sort of guide us. Okay. So they, they'll push us in terms of voting on records for us to review. And sometimes we get stuff that we would never have picked. We just did the uh, boards of Canada, which is an electronic band from, um the uk and i would have never picked them to and you know to tackle so it's fun and you know i don't think jay and i my co-host would do it if it still wasn't fun after all this time but we're always kind of amazed by the stuff that people bring to us and we go wow i had no idea this band existed and now i just discovered a new favorite band because they're awesome so and it's made us a lot of friends <laughs> and we didn't expect that at the beginning, but there's a huge Australian music scene from the nineties that was yeah. totally undiscovered. People know say silver chair and a few other bands from Australia, but we have discovered a, a wealth of Australian bands that have been introduced, introduced to us from a whole bunch of Australian listeners. So that's been a lot of fun. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I find stuff like that always kind of acts as a magnet, and before you know it, you're digging it. You know, like one thing leads to fifty more. Uh, usually, right, right. Yeah, awesome. Well, we're, I want to we'll talk a bit more about the podcast later, and kind of maybe some hidden gems you found or favorite episodes. Let's though. I realize that we, you know, we start talking '90s, and I'm jumping far ahead in our timeline here. When really <laughs> we are still firmly in 1983, uh, based on our outline here. And uh, what are we, as we get through the 80s here in this next chunk of Columbus music coming up, uh, what are we going to hear? 
All right, so the next couple that are up. First, you've got Ronald Cole and the Trillionaires, and Ronald Cole was this amazing performer, could pack the Newport, fill it up, 1,500 people as an unsigned band, um, just magnetic as a performer, put out what should have been a breakthrough record in 1983 off their self-titled debut, and it just one of those things where it just didn't connect. It had all the early 80s sort of, um, if you were thinking in terms of, you know, Adam Ant or, or you know, these, these catchier songwriters that were finding sounds from all over the place and weren't just doing post-punk, weren't just, re, you know, reimagining uh, Gang of Four or Joy Division, but were actually pushing it a little bit. That was Ronald Cole. Um, and then from 85, it's near Paris, who were born out of a, another band called Pin or Post-Industrial Noise. And they were like the Post-Industrial Noise was basically a, a loud industrial band uh-huh. and very rough. Near Paris was the more streamlined version, very influenced by like early New Order, okay. you know, danceable rhythms, that kind of stuff, Bauhaus. And then Razor Penguins were a very um, unusual band in that they only put out two singles, one in 1981 and then one in 1986, but were a constant part of the scene. And when they started, they were only in high school. So they kind of grew up amongst these bands that were, you know, college age guys and just doing this very dark, um, all, you know, it's, they sound like they're in the new wave, slash sort of post-punk uh you, what would you would think of as joy division um era but just a little bit different take on it and one of the i think one of the most unsung bands because they just didn't put out material now they've since then put out a lot of material on like Bandcamp that were demos and songs that never got released and people have been you know really interested because these two singles that they had they only pressed up a few hundred so Again, a lot of these things are just hard to find. Yeah. When you oh, totally. Are trying. So when I got my grant, that was one of the first things I spent money on was trying to get a, a Razor Penguin single. Nice. <laughs> and um, and it's funny because I, I did end up actually interviewing um, the guitarist from the band for the book, and he was sort of flabbergasted that people cared. You know, I mean, he's been he's an artistic guy, but he moved on to visual arts after it. And just did not particularly pay attention to what was going on. And then, you know, years later, he's like, oh, I have a box of seven inches in my garage. I I should have been putting them up on eBay. I didn't even realize people cared. (laughs) That's awesome. All right. Well, let's start off here with uh, this is Living for Something by Ronald Cole and the Chillionaires. We'll take it back to 1983 here on the Western Reserve. And we'll be back, play some more songs with Tim Minichi and talk about uh, Down to High Street and Dig Me Out. We'll be back.
Razor Penguins with The Math Professor off their 7-inch single from 1986. Before that, Near Paris, Visions from the self-titled 12-inch EP a year earlier in 1985. And starting things off, Ronald Cole and the Trillionaires. That's Living for Something from their self-titled record, 1983. We got a whole lot more awesome Columbus music to play for you here. And we're going to be talking to Tim Minichi of Down the High Street and Dig Me Out podcasts a lot more. Let's head it to Jonathan Toledo by The Toll from 1988. We'll be back on the Western Reserve.
I make a lot of money here selling to the white man. I turn my back, I begin to walk back across the lawn, and I felt very disgraced, so my head was down, and I came upon the Just
That was Cut the Shit by the Yips from their 1995 debut album Bonfire in a Dixie Cup. I hope that swearing is allowed on this podcast because definitely, I did not check definitely beforehand. Allowed. Definitely All allowed. Right. It's a, it is a <laughs> uh, cost of doing business. Uh, it's, it's the freedom that That's right. uh, podcasters enjoy. <laughs> That's right. Um, here on the Western Reserve. Uh, I want to mention uh, the yips were fronted by Tamney, Tamney Gilmore, who there was a great... Um, collection of musicians who would float in and out of each other's bands you could do the six degrees of separation with columbus bands but you probably wouldn't get more than two because everybody ended up playing on everybody else's records <laughs> definitely and um the yips were uh as mentioned fronted by tammy gilmore tammy was a member of uh mike rep and the quotas earlier in her, in the decade and mike rep has just this presence that sort of flows over you know, from the seventies where he released the rocket to nowhere single. And then, um, was a producer for bands like great plains. And I think he produced like the first new bomb Turks single. Uh And, uh, who we just played as well, the, um, from their debut destroy Oh boy. And just this presence to where even up until the, the end of the two thousands, he was the guy who was at, um, the, uh, Columbus School of Art, of Design that discovered Times New Viking. So he has a hand in so much of all of this that it's really interesting. And Ron House of Great Plains and and Thomas Jefferson Slave Apartments and a number of other bands is kind of the same way, not as much as a producer, but just a guy who, if you got on, like, if he liked you and championed you, you were going to, you know, people are going to know about you. Right. And I think that was one of the things that I really liked about this scene is that people were not afraid to be champions for bands that they were not in. It's something that I think for Ohio is a very common thing. I don't know. I'm sure, you know, yeah, those kind of things can be found other places. I'm not saying it's completely exclusive, but it's a big Ohio thing. I think the thing that was unusual is that when you think of, okay, what are the big name bands in Columbus? And you think of, in terms of legacy, you would think of like Great Plains because they were such an important part of the of the eighties, along with um, uh, you know Willie Phoenix is another is a guy who's been around forever. So you wouldn't like think of necessarily the bands that are bigger being the ones that would be like, well, we're gonna like champion these smaller bands, other than having them open for them, but they really were they were they were very supportive of a, a lot of different artists that were doing many different things and so it wasn't necessarily like it, there wasn't as clicky a uh a scene as as you might think there was a lot of cross-pollination especially when i go back through the old like posters for gigs and you see these bands and you're like i i would have never thought that say royal crescent mob would be sharing a bill with the barbed wire dolls because the barbed wire dolls were like this very aggressive punk meets guns and roses thing. <laughs> and RC mob was basically an early incarnation of the red hot chili peppers. It just doesn't seem like it would go well. And yet there you go. We'll, we'll take care of that one for you. So let's shoot it to uh, watershed. Let's hear black concert t-shirt. This is off the record star vehicle. So we're, 
here in 1997 now. And we'll be back on the Western Reserve with Tim Minichi.
one of my favorites, new poster, good friend of the show. That is Black Oak from their self-titled record in 2001. Silo the Husky with Hotel Mary Appalachia off their self-titled record back in 1998. And starting off that block with Watershed and their song Black Concert T-Shirt from Star Vehicle in 1997. And you're hearing a lot of Columbus music. We started way back in 1975 and we are barreling towards the present day here with Tim Minichi who's been talking to us about some of his favorite stuff uh, from especially the 90s and also his projects and various passions that he's been involved with lately. I'm going to make him plug it again before we go into the last block of music, but please go look at the Down to High Street blog. You can find it at downtohighstreet.blogspot.com and go subscribe and like and fan and follow and all those things, the Dig Me Out podcast especially if you're a fan of 90s rock and roll, which I'm going to go ahead and assume if you've made it this far into an episode <laughs> of the Western Reserve, you are, uh, and you've probably already checked out those things, but go do it again and give Tim and his projects some love. And we got one more block of music that we'll get to, but I wanted to talk just a bit more. And let I guess one thing I like to ask people, and this I'm doing this sort of because I wanted to focus on the music and your projects first, doing this interview sort of in reverse so before we leave uh one thing i want to talk to you about is something i like to ask most people that are this into ohio music and that is how did the jump for you happen between you know in your case and in a lot of our cases i'm a musician and i'm playing in a band and this is a part of my life to I am going to research and document and archive or release or, you know, any of these sort of various things. Was there a moment that sort of jumped out um, to you that sort of sent you, I know you mentioned your own band and the book you did on that. um, And maybe it's that, but is there something that sort of sent you on that path? I don't know that it was one thing. I tend to, something tends to happen and I, I sort of pack it away and then, Another thing happens that somehow triggers that thing previously. And I go, hmm, this keeps hating me. I think there's something there. And I, I've always been interested in music history. I, I primarily read either music history or biographies, or I read science fiction. Those are the basically the two genres of books that I read. So I'm constantly <laughs> ingesting any sort of oral history of bands or, or um, scenes so there was uh, a couple years ago, there was a book called Everybody Loves Our Town by Mark Yarm. It was an oral history of Seattle, but before everything hit really big, it was in the 80s. And it mm-hmm. sort of talked about what was leading up there. There's a great book by uh, Greg Renoff called Van Halen Rising, which is not necessarily an oral history, but it's a history of Van Halen before their first record came out. And it's a fascinating book because... His level of detail, he's a historian, so his level of detail telling the story of Van Halen is, it's mind-boggling that he was able to collect as much information that he did because you don't think about, well, you just think about Van Halen existed and put out their first record. They had 10 years of woodshedding at California parties in the 1970s before that actually happened. And I read those kind of books and it really got me interested in histories and of scenes and of bands. And I think the the real big 
aha moment was when I realized I could do books myself, which was which was with self-printing through places like Amazon has a whole self-printing option where you can upload a book and they can create a you know cover for you or you can upload one and you can have a book up on Amazon for sale. Right. And I didn't I didn't know that existed before 2013 and that's when I put on my first book and from there I started getting more serious about writing because the band had broken up. I'd been out of the band for a couple years. I was doing the podcast, but that was once a week and it really just didn't it didn't require much from me creatively. I just had to listen to a record and then share my thoughts on it. So I was looking for something to do expressively that it was music, but not making music. Cause I, I kind of realized I'm not in that mode anymore. So it all sort of, you know, these different things sort of connected and made me go, I think I can pull this off. I know that doing down to high street is a huge endeavor. And I said to myself, when I started it, I'm not going to do this in a year. I mean, I've done 25 interviews so far and I kind of got, obviously what's been going on now has slowed things down a little bit. Um, but I know I've probably got a hundred interviews to do for this book at a minimum. And then there's also research. So I, I gave myself like a five year timeline to do the book and to stay vested in it. I, I do the blog because I actually use that as a way to track the bands that I'll be talking about. <laughs> that makes sense. Book. Yeah, yeah, totally. So it's sort of like an online research depository. Because then I also like will grab articles and I'll post them on the blog so that I can go back and say, oh, what was that interview that you know so and so did back in 1986 that got you know somebody transcribed it on a blog 15 years ago? I can go back and reference that as opposed to trying to keep a whole bunch of bookmarks on my uh, on my browser. So it. it I don't know if I completely answered the question. No, but it's, totally. It's I just, get, yeah. Yeah. It's just sort of been a, a roundabout way of arriving at things that I didn't always intend, but it just, uh, I, I'm big proponent of like, if you are, are really passionate about it, you can't wait for someone else to give you permission. You just kind of <laughs> have to go and do it. So I wasn't going to, I'd been through the book process in terms of trying to find an agent and trying to get a, you know, publisher behind me. And I just realized like, I'm going to do this first. And then if somebody wants to come on board at some point and support it, that's great. And I knew once I got the grant from the arts council that I was moving in the right direction. Cause if they had said no, I would have been like, mm, it, you know, maybe this isn't the best idea, but when they were like enthusiastic about it, because it was about Columbus history, then I knew I was heading in the right way in, in the right direction. So, and I'm just naturally curious about history. So it was a good pairing. Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's, it, it makes a lot of sense. One thing totally, especially in that world, one thing definitely does lead to another and on and on and on. So, but yeah. we should talk about this last block because it's a, it's a wildly divergent, block of songs let's hear it let's hear it so defiance ohio was this anarchist collective of musicians that when you talk about like house punk shows and like the real diy that that was defiance ohio like completely off the grid you know putting on these um underground shows 
at the Legion of Doom and and these places that were only they only popped up for like short periods of time, and very influenced by the the early two thousands, um, like Saddle Creek scene of of Bright Eyes and Cursive and those bands, and then you have the Sun, which was like the last great gasp for a major label band. They signed to Warner Brothers. They were like a super group essentially. They had the drummer from New Bomb Turks. They had the guitar player slash saxophonist from this band called the Jive Turkeys, who were great. Uh, they had this guy, Chris Burney, who was an amazing songwriter. You listen to that record and your mind will be blown that they were not one of the biggest bands of all time. Because every song is a killer hook. It just took too long to put out the record. They like missed their window. And then the band imploded. Don't know why things go wrong, but some reason things go wrong with Columbus bands. And then lastly, Happy Chichester is one of those legendary guys in Columbus. Started out as a teenager playing organ in the late 70s, early 80s for the Ray Fuller Band, which is this legendary slide blues guitarist. Then he goes on to form RC Mob with a couple of, well, he didn't form it. He was, I guess you'd say like the middle edition. Like they weren't really a band until he got there. Like they were completely different. They were a group of musicians playing together, but they weren't playing RC Mob music then, even though they were called, they were called the Royales. And then when he got there, they became the Royal Crescent Mob. And just this amazing party funk band with, an edge to them. They run their course. He forms Howl and Maggie. Howl and Maggie signs to Columbia. They're touring around with the Afghan wigs and it doesn't happen for them. And so he puts out, he's been putting out solo records and um, the most recent one is Torchwood Loop from 2013 and the single is Motorbike. And it's a great, great little power pop song um, with, it has a video that you can watch on YouTube and he's just, you know, again, one of those nice folks that will sit down with you anytime and, and talk about his experience and, you know, has a deep well of knowledge, not just of rock music, but he's very into the jazz scene in Columbus, which really deserves its own book. I, I don't feel <laughs> properly educated to tackle that, but the Columbus blues and jazz scene is enormous and worthy of exploration. And he's all about that. He's just, you know, can play any instrument amazing dude and yeah i felt like he had to be included at some point whether it was with halamag or royal crescent mob or or in some way so i had to get him on to to wrap it up awesome well before we head into this last block of music i want to thank you for for coming on the show it's been great talking to you and of course go check out bolt down the high street blog and and the dig me out podcast and keep an eye out for that new book anything else you want to push or, or you know promote before we head out well uh the other thing that i'm working on i do have a, I have my first novel coming out in august oh awesome very cool um that is uh available for pre-order on amazon now and it's a it's something i've been working on since 2011 which sounds depressing <laughs> uh, but I took a, I did take a five year break because I um, had a kid and got married and all those sorts of things could have gotten in the way. So I, I finally pulled it out of the drawer and finished it. And it's a it's a um, I mentioned my love of sci fi books, so it's in that genre. 
And it's also, it's a multimedia project, which I'm, I figured if I'm going to do this once, or if I'm going to do this, it's my first time, you know, doing this, I want to go big because obviously as a self-published author, you don't get as much publicity as say someone who's on a, a major publishing uh, with a major publishing company. So it has a corresponding soundtrack that I worked on with Neil Schmidt from Pretty Mighty Mighty. Oh yeah, Neil's he, great guy. Yeah, was, we know Neil. He was my producer and he was he gave me feedback while I was making it. It's an, like an all electronic soundtrack. Each song corresponds with a chapter in the book. Oh, and that's awesome. It's very like much that. in the vein of like Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross and, and John Carpenter's soundtracks and, and those sorts of things. And then in addition to that, there is a... I don't want to call it a role-playing game because that's not it, but there is a real-world component to the book. Okay, uh, cool. There, the characters in the book have social media accounts. The company that's in the book has its own website, and there are all sorts of hidden Easter eggs that inform you about stuff that happened before the book takes place, after the book takes place, that what's happening in the book. I just wanted to create a very unique experience with this project so that... Um, People would have more than just the book to experience, but would have all these other avenues of of uh, ways of exploring it. So it's been a uh, a long process, <laughs> and uh, I'm excited because I'm starting to get um, you know I did the mailing for the original you know reviews, which like being in a band, you throw out the CD to reviewers, and then you have to sit and wait for weeks to see if anybody actually likes it. So now I'm sitting and waiting for the the early reviews to come back in the book. So it's just like being, you know, 22 again right. and, and waiting on album reviews. Awesome. So <laughs> that keeps me, as you can tell, uh, with uh, the lockdown that we're all on, I, I, I'm still staying busy. Yeah. It's good to have projects that are sort of not dependent on the rest of the world spinning around completely. You know, I've been in the same boat. So yeah, everyone go check out all that stuff. Tim, thanks again for coming on it's been great talking and let's send it off finish things off with defiance ohio we'll start with i don't want solidarity if it means holding hands with you from 2003 uh check us out aquabrelegion.com check all the tim stuff out down the high street and dig me out order that book and we'll see you all next time thanks tim thank you Man.
never abide Well, tried to get to you in time Be a poet witness to the crime Proud my blood, my kin would strike me down That way of life would have killed me This one's gonna be my motorbike Yeah, this one's gonna be the one that I write This one's gonna get me Till the 